Hello and welcome to the Convivio Agency Leaders podcast. I'm Steve Parks and on each episode we talk to an agency leader about how they run their business and their tips and tricks and ideas and warnings as well for other agency leaders. Uh, I'm joined on each episode by my colleague Dr Joe Baker and we'll chat through some of the advice and experiences that the guests raise uh, towards the end of the podcast and also bring up some of the other bits and pieces so that you can learn a little bit about what's going on in the agency market and uh, also what What's going on at Convivio. So we'll come to that a little bit later. But first, our guest on this episode runs an agency in the UK called Social Change. She is Kelly Hunstone. Kelly, welcome to the podcast. What is Social Change, the agency? You know, Social Change, that sounds huge. What do you do? Uh, we're a behaviour change agency. So we use behavioural science and uh, we do a lot of work around understanding people. So research um, and we use that insight and that science uh, to help companies, businesses, whether it's public sector, government or brands to really help understand people and make a difference through different change campaigns. So we can help on all sorts of things ranging from sort of crime to sustainability we think from recycling to tackling obesity. So this is a very kind of trendy area. It's a, very, a real growth area, this kind of mix of psychology and marketing. But also you've got a kind of public sector, not-for-profit focus. Um, and so you're effectively helping people to do good things, I guess, <laughs> um, which is a good thing. Um, and it's the things that it's often referred to as nudges, isn't it, um, in sort of trendy popular psychology. Yeah, I mean, um, trendy, I, I guess, at the moment, lots of people are talking about how they can use behavioural science. Certainly, as we're coming out of a pandemic, we've been working a lot in this particular space as we've been uh, trying to alter people's behaviour over the last couple of years. Um, but for me, it's not sort of trendy because I've been working in this field for 20 years. So we've been using this science and the the insights that we, un we know about people. Uh, you know, to bring about change. So, yes, I guess it is a bit trendy at the moment um, and it has gone through its various sort of uh, journeys along the, over the last 10 years. It was very trendy back in 2010 when David Cameron was the prime minister and he set up the famous nudge unit and then it kind of disappeared for a little bit. Um, and then now it's kind of come back around again and everyone wants to mm. kind of see how behavioural science can be used to kind of affect change. Um, what have you taken from your leadership about behavioural science and nudges into leadership and leading an agency? Mm. Uh, well, when I first set up the agency, I didn't really have any experience in running an agency. It was a real first. It was a bit of an accident in, in a way. Um, I was working inside the government and um, obviously there was lots of changes at the time. With a, we, we went from you know, a conservative government to a late, sorry, a Labour government to a conservative government. Um, and um, yeah, I found myself in a position where um, do I go and look for another job or do I set up an agency and so I decided to give it a go I've been on the other side commissioning agencies I knew exactly what I I didn't want an agency to do or to look like and I felt that I would uh, you know give it a go really so I set up the agency um, and my leadership style really was in managing teams within departments inside of government and the public sector so yeah I, I kind of didn't have the experience of running an agency so I had a lot of learning to do. <laughs> Was that, did you approach that the hard way or the slow and steady way? 
Well, when I set up, it was um, it was just me. So the only person I had to lead really was myself. But um, obviously bringing on people as we uh, grew and as the agency developed, I then had to kind of go from what I would say was a very autocratic style of leadership. When I was working inside a government in the public sector, it would be definitely about, you know, you having to make the decisions and not really seeking the input from other people to then moving towards more, as I am now, more of a democratic type of leadership. So, you know, really seeking the feedback from others, um, involving them and bringing them into that decision-making process. But I would definitely say over the last sort of 10 to 15 years, my leadership style has changed. Um, I think for the better, I used to work in sort of the early 2000s in teams uh, and in organisations where it was very dictatorial or, you know, you'd be swore at on a daily basis. Bits of copy might have been thrown across the room and you might, you know, people would be told it wasn't any good. Um, and, and that's just kind of not the way to do things and not the way to lead people. So I kind of learned from those experiences, felt that definitely wasn't what I wanted in the agency I wanted to build. And over time, it kind of really shifted my kind of behaviour myself and also um deciding that I didn't also want to work with clients that were also like that as well. So some real (laughs) difficult decisions along that journey on that path um, to basically saying we're not going to do it this way and we're not really prepared to work with clients that also do it this way. So what is your leadership style like? Is it you have sort of uh, and your leadership structure as well? You know, Mm. who is your leadership team and how do you organise things and what sort of character and style does your leadership have? So... um, We've had some, you know, we've made some interesting um, changes over the last uh, couple of years. I set up a management team or a leadership team um, and actually quite, you know, found quite similar to Todd, really, um, sort of identified people within my organisation and thought, you know, they would be really good at managing or leading in that area and kind of gave them the job and the title and and sort of hoped that they would kind of get on and do it and, you know, do everything that we need them to do. And um, I found that actually that that wasn't probably the best decision that I made. It's what they said they wanted. But then when given that kind of responsibility, I think for some it became quite, a, quite hard for them or, um, you know, it's not the thing that they wanted so we found that um, actually well the lesson I've learned is that perhaps sometimes recruiting from within isn't always the answer you may have to go out and find people that would fit that that leadership role that you're looking for someone to take on within the organization Um, so yeah I, I think in during that journey and that process I had this idea of that I would devolve the decision-making so that they would be the ones that made the decisions. And actually what I found is that those people and people within my team are looking to a leader or someone to not necessarily make the decision for them, but work with them to get to the solution or the answer, because actually devolving all decision-making to your team, whether it's managers or those who are practitioners or members of the team, isn't sometimes very comfortable for them. Um, I think I, I think as an agency leader, I thought that's what everybody wants to be the, to be the master of their own destiny, so to speak, and to make the decisions. Uh, but actually, I found that isn't always the case, and they are looking to someone like myself or senior leaders to help them come to those decisions. Mm. Do you consciously use any behavioural science in the way you lead the team in your management? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, (laughs) um, Yes, we do use um, and we try different tools and and techniques. Um, So looking at, you know, who's 
you know, the right messenger, where what rewards can work, you know, how you could put in place defaults and so on. Um, and I suppose really most of that focus has been working with clients to do that either internally within their own organisations or to kind of move consumers in, you know, to where they want them to be. But actually, you know, over the last few years, I have, you know, used some of the tools and te- techniques definitely to try and work with my team to, you know, move them on the journey where, I, where I'd like them to go and where they also want to go mm. as well. Let's unpick that a little bit. You mentioned about, you know, who's the right messenger, what's the right incentive. Talk to us about that. And if you can, give us an example. So, yeah, I think, I mean, you know, Messenger is a a key one that's used quite a lot around who's the right person to deliver either a message or to to lead or to deliver um, a particular project in, 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 I'm thinking, in an internal sense. So it it might not be me as the agency leader who I think if I come into the team and I'm in a co-creation session, I'm the right person to kind of deliver that workshop and to lead it. Actually, it might be someone else within the team that has a different skill set um, who can bring people together in a very different way that will get the results that we're looking for. Um, but it could be also around delivering uh, information. You know, HR related issues would be um, perhaps more highly regarded by someone who within the team has more experience in HR or um, someone within finance, for example, getting that message from that person. Um, because they're seen as seen as more authoritative or experienced might be a better approach to delivering that news, for example. Um, mm. So, yeah, that, that I mean, that's just very sort of on a very simple level thinking about messenger. But things like rewards, I have been looking at all sorts of things around how do we reward um, the, 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 the team. So we, we've um, tried different techniques. One has been that actually there's a pot of, pot of money that's available um, but I don't decide how that money is distributed. Um, we pick someone out of the hat every month um, and they have, they're given the money. They're essentially given uh, a couple of hundred quid um, and they basically decide how that's di- distributed amongst the staff. So, you know, I'm not the one making that decision. They decide who should be rewarded and how that money should be spent. They want to spend the full hundred pounds on buying a staff member a huge bunch of flowers probably more than one bunch of flowers there, but, you know, uh, then that's fine. They will have to obviously deal with all the rest of the staff who felt like they didn't get that reward because only one person was rewarded with flowers, or they could decide to equally distribute that amongst the, 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 the team. And actually, that's been a really interesting experiment. So we kind of try to do these little experiments internally to see what's going to reward and motivate people. We've done the same things with gym memberships and um, uh, commitment contracts and things like that as well. So, yeah, that's that's been quite quite good. Yeah. Okay. So then, um, in terms of the leadership structure, how do you divide kind of being the CEO? It sounds like you get quite involved in a lot of the day to day, perhaps even in some client projects. How do you make sure you get some time standing back and looking at the business from afar and working on the business itself, improving the business? Well, um, I felt that um, quite a while ago, I didn't have the time to be working on the business. I was 
more in the business I was wearing all the different hats that everybody talks about you know I was the finance director I was the marketing director I was the person cleaning the toilets even I was the counsellor I was doing everything and actually what I'm what I decided to do is I needed to start giving other people those hats and so I then started working on well what does the team look like what hats can I give to other people Um, and then that really started to free me up to work on the business rather than in the business and now I do have dedicated time that I I literally secure just for working on the business and if I didn't do that and, and calendar block and diary block that then I would be sucked in uh, to you know getting involved in projects and, and and being really on the floor most of the time and you know I do like to get myself involved in projects because as you said at the beginning you know the sorts of issues we work on are fan- fabulous to work on um, you know trying to solve massive societal problems is, is, is my baby really so I do like to get involved so it's about trying to work out where I can add the value um, in those projects but trying to be less hands-on really and being more of a strategic uh, person within that that um, project for example. Brilliant. All right. Well, Kelly, thank you very much for joining us on this episode of the Convivio Agency Leaders podcast. Well, joining me uh, to discuss some of what Kelly's uh, been saying there is Dr. Joe Baker, my colleague at Convivio. Uh, Joe, you've heard all of that. There's uh, a lot to unpack in there about different styles of leadership, how leadership grows over time and how we can evolve uh, our skills and our focus as leaders. Um, And I thought it was very interesting, that culture change coming from the civil service to starting an agency yeah and they certainly are very very different we've um at convivio we've we've got experience of that ourselves of course because when we were doing agency work we worked quite with central government in particular some local government stuff as well and yes they're very very different environments uh and it's yeah interesting hearing kelly's story that she's had to battle continually it would seem anyway from her story had to battle with the differences in um, working environments and certainly leadership styles in moving from government to uh, to her to setting up her agency and running her agency. I wonder whether that's partly as well because uh, she presumably has recruited um, ex civil servants, people who were doing her role in in government as well after her, and has encountered people who've had that kind of experience for themselves and has continually had to unpack some of that stuff. Yeah. Mm. And so she talked about that she'd come from quite an autocratic, bureaucratic way of working. And she wanted to create a more democratic and open uh, way of working. And she did that, but found some speed bumps along the way. Yeah, people assume, I guess we live in a democracy. Democracy is is, um, held up as this halcyon idea. And it is very important to be democratic, definitely, uh, in as much as it engages people. But um, businesses aren't meant to be democracies necessarily. Um, there's a kind of um, almost a benevolent dictatorship. Maybe that's kind of the wrong word. But there's something around that kind of idea where, as a as a leader, it's really important to consult widely. To do, uh, uh, which is exactly what he- Kelly said. In fact, wasn't it? She she, she spent a lot of time listening and bringing people into, I think she called it bringing people into into the decision-making process. I think that was kind of the the vocabulary Mm -hmm. she used, but kind of consulting widely, hearing views, hearing opinions, um, talking to to those who will be affected about the the decisions that need to be made. But there is some point at which 
your role as a leader is in all is in um includes taking those big decisions making making big decisions doing them in an educated way doing them in a way that's uh um, conscious of the, the parameters and the impact of that decision, but the decision needs to be made. Mm. She referenced Todd, who was on uh, last episode of the podcast, um, and he'd had a similar thing where he'd started, he'd always come the other way, he started as a collective and then gradually had to build up more of a, a leadership structure. But he assumed everyone wanted this very democratic, very collective way of running things, but found that wasn't scalable and it created all sorts of other pressures. So there is definitely this middle, middle way between a very you know, bureaucratic, autocratic approach and a very kind of hippie, big collective where you know nobody's in charge kind of thing yeah. um and i i think the you mentioned about benign dictatorship i think there's definitely something in that and if we can picture how this would play out with countries imagine if all of the countries in the world had different benign dictators and they could create their country as they felt a country should be but all the citizens could move around as freely as they liked. So they could choose to be a citizen in any country. They could go and move and say, what kind of country are you creating? Oh, yes, I want to be part of that. Um, and I think that's almost more the model. It's then you've got the these benign dictators are competing for the support and attention and um, collaboration from the the citizens. Uh, so it's not a dictator as in in the current way of a country that they take over a country the citizens can't leave and they can do terrible things. So um, I think thinking of it in that way of it's a you know a leader who wants to do good things and wants to attract a population and attract citizens to to build up something from there is a good approach to it i think the collectivist approach doesn't work i think the autocratic approach doesn't work there's a there's a middle way as uh, as some political <laughs> leaders would say the bill clintons yeah. and tony blairs yeah yeah it's interesting isn't it actually referring back to conversations we've had previous on the podcast um, where I was thinking particularly about Vicky Young a couple of episodes ago, where Vicky herself was talking about um, having had a long working history before starting an agency. And in that working history, um, ex Vicky had experienced many different leaders that she'd worked for, worked alongside, and had been able to observe those leadership st styles and, and absorb some you know healthy things from them and reject other things from them. And I would say, that it, uh, listening to, to Kelly's story, it sounds very similar here, that having spent time in, in, in government work, uh, working as, as, a, as a public servant, um, you know, there's a set of certain leadership parameters there and, and certainly, you know, really important things to learn. It, it just doesn't mean you, it doesn't mean you just have to absorb all that wholesale. And that's part of what Kelly talked about in her story, that she tried to be, um, a very egalitarian leader and uh, to offer freedom to her staff members to um, you know, to be autonomous in their roles, to get involved in projects and make decisions and take actions, uh, but found that, that that caused problems in itself. And so has had to kind of rail back um, at a later stage in, in, her, in her story, had to rail back on that and recognizing that sometimes people need to be led they want to be led not maybe not everybody but people sometimes want to be led they look to their their leader to to give them guidance or a direction or a whatever something i recognize a lot in my own journey uh, of leadership i began my career in the bbc 
and came out of that thinking I do, you know, took, I'd always wanted to start my own business. So I came out of that to start a business. But starting that business, I thought, I don't want to be anything like the managers I had in the BBC. <laughs> and I want to avoid that sort of the hierarchy. If you've ever seen TV programs like 2012, which was on in the UK, but I think spread worldwide about, um, you know, first of all, it's about management for Olympics. And then they did W1A, where it's about how the BBC runs. And in that W1A, that is, <laughs> it's, it's loved within the BBC because it really <laughs> does send up what it's actually like. Um, and so therefore, when I started a business, I abdicated leadership. Um, and I had this whole thing of, oh, we're all together. I don't want to be the boss. Let's just all run things, you know, and I, it was terrible. It created a nightmare. And I, it, you know, at first I thought I was, you know, just being egalitarian and creating this togetherness and everyone's equal. And But later I realized I was simply abdicating responsibility um, because a group of humans working together does need that leadership. Um, and on the last episode of the podcast, we talked actually about that, that paper, the report that uh, Todd had mentioned uh, about the feminist movement in the 60s and 70s, where if somebody isn't the leader by, you know, clear appointment, there is a leader that emerges or a group, a clique, and it's it's kind of often poisonous and damaging. And so I gradually realized over time, okay, I have to actually be a leader. And not only do I have to, but actually that's what people want. <laughs> they don't mm. want just this wishy-washy drifting. Mm. Um, and then what kind of leader can you be once you assume that role and you take the responsibility for that role? And you don't have to be the kind of leader we've all hated from our early jobs or whatever. There are different ways. And it's about perhaps more creating the space for all the work to happen and the people to collaborate, protecting that space and supporting it, and just setting some of the boundaries. And that's where eventually you may have to sometimes become the boss that you always didn't want to be when those boundaries are breached. But all the rest of the time, you're just about supporting and keeping the space and things like that. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's a journey I think a lot of agency leaders go on. Either they come out with experience where it's right, I've got to be in charge, I've got to do this, this and this, and it's too heavy handed. Or they come going, I don't want to be the boss, we're all together, let's, <laughs> and abdicating responsibility. And gradually we have to come from either of those ends to find this middle place. Mm. And so that's it actually a good point. Like, I'm sorry, carry on. I was just gonna say, that's a good point actually to turn and talk toward about what Kelly was talking about um, in terms of uh, growing leadership within the business or finding that there are necessary leadership roles within the business. Uh, Kelly talked, didn't she, about how as as the business grew and, and evolved, she couldn't keep on doing any, everything. She There were points at which she <laughs> said she was cleaning the toilets and had to admit she couldn't clean the toilets. You know, I'm sure that was literal, but it's also metaphorical. It's, you know, um, Never have I had a better argument for remote work. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so so that's a it's an interesting as a point at which actually we maybe we ought to to, to discuss that a little bit further. What Kelly was saying about um, trying to grow uh, leadership within the team, and that sometimes that works, uh, but sometimes it doesn't. And she talked about her own experience of having to recruit from outside. Steve, there's quite a lot of um, chat about the moment with the pressure there is in on recruitment staffing globally is a is an issue we've talked about it on the agency radar report what's your observation as an agent ex experienced agency leader on this thing about developing leadership within within the team and sit, you know, recruiting it from outside yeah um 
absolutely. There's, I, I think the trouble we get into is this feeling that um, there's this, uh, that leadership is the route up um, and that you are a practitioner in something. And if you're good at that and you do that for a while, then you step up to become a manager or a leader within the business in charge of other people who do that. Um, and so it's, you know, that is your career progression. But it's not necessarily <laughs> the right thing because it's a completely different job. So the idea that somebody who was a very good behavioral scientist or a very good marketer or designer or developer should suddenly just become a manager is, uh, is crazy, you know, but that's the only career progression we offer. So I think what we've got to do is split out career progression uh, from the idea of who moves into leadership roles. Um, and so there needs to be other routes for career progression within an agency for, um, you know, someone who's very good designer or developer or PR person to then become a mentor for the others or to become a thought leader in their industry, you know, in the thing uh, and become famous for that um, and benefit the agency in that way, rather than saying, right now you've got to take on the responsibility of managing other people which is a completely different skill and some people hate and some people are just no good at it. Um, and so then for the management and leadership roles, you need to look for those particular traits in the business. And I think you can seed that through, you know, side projects and through experiments and bits and pieces like this and look for people who are keen to take those things on and are great at bringing people together to do things and keeping people focused on the things that need to be done and keeping people together on the way that things need to be done, the culture of a thing. And that's the, the leadership you're looking for. And so it's those people you want to then move into leadership roles and not necessarily have that be a big elevation, but that be a different set of responsibilities. So I think it's about moving away from, you know, hierarchy uh, necessarily of authority to just being different skills. And some people are very good at doing their leadership roles. And often, actually, bizarrely, the people who are very good at the leadership stuff might not always have been very good at the practitioner stuff <laughs> because, again, it's different skills. So the best PR person might not end up being the best leader and vice versa. Um, so we need to think within our agencies and look at not just who's doing really well at what they're doing now and how do we promote them into a role they might be no good at. And we need to look instead at who's doing, you know, regardless of what people are doing now, who's demonstrating leadership skills and how do we find those people and move those people into leadership roles without it feeling like they're being moved over the heads of other people who are doing really good at what they're doing and deserve some other kind of advancement. Um, but yeah, that does also mean sometimes you need to bring the leaders in from outside, um, uh, just as you would with other roles too. So you need to be looking at them as specifically different skills. Mm, mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I completely com completely agree with that. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, at that point, um, I guess we turn really to the last things Kelly was talking about about uh, the, the language we've we've used quite a lot about wearing hats. Uh, that there are many hats to wear in running a business, and and clearly, as Kelly found people within the business or recruited people from outside to fill um, fill those leadership positions, she was able to give out some of the hats that she'd been wearing too frequently. <laughs> to others in order to carve out time in her diary. Um, and, and that's a sensibility we're really trying to talk about quite a lot on this podcast. Yeah, I wonder who got the bog cleaners hat uh, for a start. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a great analogy because it's something that we all recognize as agency leaders, that we've just got all of these hats. Every role that we do is a different hat. And when we start the business, by definition, we've got all of them. <laughs> and then as we grow, we've got to get into that practice of handing those hats on to other people and recognizing that we no longer wear them because we need to move into some other hats. There are other hats that are ready for us to wear. We need to be a, 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 an owner of the business. We need to be a director of the business. We need to be the CEO of the business. And even those are three different hats and they're huge hats. Um, so they need the time and the, the dedication to you know, creating that time to actually wear them. And I thought it was interesting, Kelly was saying now how she's recognized that and carves out the time. And she said she protects it, um, protects the time. And that was, that resonated. I think so many agency leaders, they may say, right, I'm going to spend that time. But if they don't absolutely protect it, it gets eaten by other stuff. There's always something else that will come up. Uh, so I think that idea of, uh, you know, I always talk about block out, at the very least, block out a day a week where you wear one of your leadership hats. And once a year, wear the owner hat for a full day and think long-term about the business. Once a month, wear a director hat and think strategically uh, about the next year or so of the business. And then the remaining days, you are the CEO. Uh, that one day a week, you are the CEO and you need to think more about the culture of the business, the immediate strategy of the business and so on. Um, I think those, you know, just carving out that time and absolutely protecting it is key. Sometimes just go to a different location even. Um, Sue Keogh talked about that. She, uh, on one of the earlier episodes, about going actually somewhere physically different uh, to perform these roles so that the time was protected and it was quiet. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, completely. Yeah. I didn't see you talk about going on a train just to get away yeah. from things. <laughs> yes, yeah, Because exactly. the UK 4G or 5G signal is so spotty, you can guarantee you'll be in the quiet on the train. Yeah, absolutely. It might not work in some of the Scandinavian countries where there's amazing uh, <laughs> signal. Um, so, yeah, so I think that we, we've covered some of the interesting points that came out there from Kelly. This comes through very much. In, and perhaps she had that awareness of what she was doing and how she was growing as a leader with her experience in this psychology uh, arena. She's able to sort of perceive how she's growing and the different styles she's adopting. Uh, and I thought that that was particularly interesting. Okay, well, Joe, thanks for chatting uh, about that. On the next episode of the podcast, we're going to be talking to another agency leader who's going to be sharing their journey uh, from starting an agency, growing it, and how they've evolved themselves and their style of leadership, and also how they make that time for wearing the right hats. We're going to learn more from other agencies about how to protect that leadership time, how to work on the business rather than just in the business. And if you'd like, in the meantime, other bits of inspiration and ideas ideas and tips and so on, subscribe to our newsletter. You can go to the website at convivio.com. That is C-O-N-V-I-V-I-O.com, convivio.com. Um, and it's in the show notes on your podcast app as well. You can go there, take a look at what we do, but also sign up for our newsletter. It is a completely no spam weekly newsletter where we share with you tips, uh, tricks, various ideas, and bits of inspiration to start your week on a real high a real zing uh, about agency leadership and about that idea of working on your business more strategically. So sign up for the newsletter, join us on the next episode of the podcast. And until then, thanks very much for listening. Goodbye.